What's up, this your boy Lil Duval, and check out my podcast, Conversations with Unc, on the Black Effect Podcast Network. Each and every Tuesday, Conversations with Unc podcast feature casuals and in-depth talk about ebbs and flows of life and the pursuit of happiness. Unlike my work on stage, I tap into a more serious and sensitive side to give life advice and simply offer words of encouragement, yet remind folks to never forget to laugh. Every Tuesday, listen to Conversations with Unc, hosted by Lil Duval on the Black Effect Podcast Network, iHeartRadio app, or wherever you get your podcasts. Presented by AT&T. Connecting changes everything. This episode is brought to you by Navy Federal Credit Union. At Navy Federal, it's been the mission to help the military community for over 90 years. And not just help them, but do everything to make sure they not only grow, but flourish. That's why Navy Federal Credit Union has all kinds of great savings and investment options, like share certificates with sky-high rates. So don't hesitate. Start growing your finances today with a variety of savings and investment options. Navy Federal Credit Union. Our members are the mission. Savings products insured by NCUA. Investment products are not insured. Not obligations of Navy Federal and may lose value. You know that feeling when you walk into your home, take a deep breath, and feel new? Well, that's what it's like to use Clorox Sentiva. Because Clorox Sentiva smells like coconut, cleans like Clorox, and feels like energy. It'll elevate any cleaning routine to not just clean, but also make every room smell like a tropical coconut getaway. Discover how Clorox Sentiva's powerful clean and refreshing scents can transform your space. Get yours in coconut or other fabulous scents at a nearby retail store. Welcome to Business on the Brink, a production from iHeartRadio and How Stuff Works. When last we left off, the Radio Corporation of America, or RCA, had just become the RCA Corporation. So I guess it was the Radio Corporation of America Corporation. <laughs> President David Sarnoff was relying on a combination of innovations and ruthless business strategy to tune in to success. Ultimately, RCA would grow into an enormous company with its proverbial fingers in many proverbial pies. Yum pie. Until the mid-1980s when another company would put a stop to it. This is RCA in Business on the Brink. Hey everyone, I'm Jonathan. And I'm Ariel. And we're going to continue our story with RCA, as we mentioned. So if you have not heard the previous episode, you should probably go do that. Because yep. it, will, it will set the stage for what is about to happen. But uh, in, we had just talked about how RCA had become its own independent company after mm-hmm. being sort of a, a mutual partnership among many big, big companies like General Electric yeah. and Westinghouse. And we left off in the year 1932. Yeah. So we're going to jump to 1934 because this is when one of RCA's uh, properties, NBC, the the at that point, the radio network, it was before TV networks, uh, was the subject of some scrutiny. The mutual broadcasting system said that NBC and CBS were essentially a duopoly, that these two networks of radio stations were making it very difficult if you wanted to operate, say, an independent radio station. And the FCC, the Federal Communications Commission, said, yeah. So they went up to NBC, which technically was two radio networks, Mm -hmm. the Red Network and the Blue Network, and said, here's the deal. You got to get rid of one of them. You got to sell one of these off. Yeah, pick your favorite child. Yeah. 
And RCA said, uh-uh, I'm going to I'm gonna appeal this. And the uh, appeals court said, yeah, you got to do it. So RCA said, uh-uh, I'm going to take this to the Supreme Court. And Supreme Court said, yeah, you got to do it. Yeah. In the meanwhile, uh, RCA kept business going. Yeah, it was no longer tied to General Electric or Westinghouse. The Great Depression was still going on. But David Sarnoff, the leader of the company, was still trying to innovate and also still trying to use any kind of business method whatsoever to keep competition well under his heel. Yeah, but one of the things he was still trying to push was this TV, right? Yeah, he had been behind the idea of electronic television since uh, really the the 20s and um, had been funding it directly since 1930. And in 1939, so after about a decade of research and development, they debuted and electronic television at the 1939 World's Fair. They actually showed a live broadcast of U.S. President Franklin Delano Roosevelt. Was he drinking a PBR? He was not. That was different World's Fair. That was, that was <laughs> in the 1800s. Uh, but he was he was giving an address live. And in fact, this was a live broadcast. So live from camera broadcast to this television. And they began... RCA, the company, to manufacture television sets. Giant ones, like 60 inches. Divide that by five. 12 inches. There you go. 12-inch <laughs> TVs. or Well, the screen was 12 inches. The television sets were, were enormous. Yeah, yeah. There's a piece of furniture. All those tubes in the back. Mm-hmm. These were big. This before the transistor, so very large uh, pieces of uh, equipment. And, of course, just like we talked about in the last episode, you got to have stuff to show mm-hmm. on your thing or nobody's going to buy it. So they showed a baseball game, right? They did between Columbia University and Princeton. Who on, won? Uh, Princeton, two to one. So Not a bad game. Yeah. You, you got to think that Sarnoff was probably proud of that <laughs> because the other university had the word Columbia in yeah, it. <laughs> yeah, yeah. And, and RCA and uh, the company Columbia were – constantly bickering with one another, fighting for domination. And then they uh, they showed a Major League Baseball game after that, right? Yep, November of 1939. It was actually a doubleheader between two teams, the uh, Brooklyn Dodgers and the Cincinnati Reds. Each team won one of those games. So um, if you were a, a, a fan of Cincinnati or a fan of the Brooklyn Dodgers, you, you were able to be happy at least half the time. Then uh, the network's... Like NBC and CBS were getting into television, trying to push this, but it's hard getting a brand new technology mm-hmm. off the ground, especially one that was as expensive as televisions. Early TVs were, I mean, they were prohibitively expensive for the vast majority of consumers out there. Um, and on top of that, even when the Great Depression was going to start to come to an end, something else was starting to boil up. And that something else was the Second World War. Now, World War II. Yeah, World War II. <laughs> that would be it. That's the one. So, yeah, they called World War One the war to end all wars. And then I guess World War II was, oops, I did it again. Ah. Uh, yeah. Brit- uh, Brittany. Yeah. <laughs> Leave Brittany alone. <laughs> so RCA's consumer electronics business would slow down during this time. But There was money to be made because, as it turns out, when a war is on, 
The military needs lots of stuff. See, I thought you were going to say, when the war is on, the TV's on. Well, it would have been, but there was no TV yet. So, at least not really. So, instead, RCA would start to develop technology for the military. Now, most of the time, it was like components that would go into larger things, like radar systems and stuff. Okay. So they were really focusing on that. Um, you know, a lot of the manufacturing power of the United States was being dedicated to wartime efforts. This was across the board. If you operated a factory, uh, chances are you were trying to land military government uh, contracts because otherwise you couldn't even get the raw materials you needed to make your stuff. Yeah. Because the U.S. would put, you know, very strict limitations on that. Everything was going to the war efforts. Yes, yes. And so uh, – At this time, also during World War II, the FCC ruling uh, would come down in 1943 and RCA would have to split up those NBC networks, the red and blue network. So a guy named Edward J. Noble – we're going to have to do an episode about Edward J. Noble at some point. Got it. He had made a fortune with Lifesavers, not the the flotation device. The candy. The candy, Lifesavers. He – was a lifesaver's Life, fortune. Lifesavers were his lifesaver. Mm-hmm. He made a lot of money on those lifesavers. So he would buy the Blue Network from NBC for the princely sum of $8 million. Not too shabby. Nope. And then a couple years later, he would rebrand that network so that its official name became the American Broadcasting Company or ABC. ABC. So in the last episode, I, I referred to the fact that, that RCA's RCA pretty much uh, played a role in the creation of three of the major networks mm-hmm. in the United States. It made NBC outright. That was its yeah. subsidiary. Uh, it inspired the creation of CBS. Yeah. And then it spun off half of NBC, which then became ABC. All right. But also during this time, so Sarnoff was getting military contracts. What did he yep. do with the money? Well, he – was pretty – I mean, not just pretty smart. He was incredibly smart. He used that money to increase RCA's manufacturing capacity. He started building out more manufacturing centers, more factories, because he knew that when the war was at an end, there would be another market for consumer electronics as well as industrial uh, equipment. And in order to meet the need, he would need better manufacturing facilities. So he was using that money – And at the time, they were still making military stuff. But Mm -hmm. it was all with the eye of converting this over back to civilian applications once the war was over. Which they did. So they started making TV sets in 46. Yes. So war is over. The year after the war is over, RCA starts to really manufacture television sets. Of course, these are black and white TVs at this time. And again – Like we've said before, they had to make stuff for people to watch, like those Mm -hmm. baseball games. They had to create stuff. So they essentially told NBC, which at the time, again, was just a a radio network, to start working into television production as well. So that's when NBC started to become not just a radio network but a TV network. Uh, Meanwhile, CBS was trying to do the same thing. William Paley, who was the leader of CBS, he was the guy who had bought CBS Mm -hmm. back when it was uh, uh, sort of being made in spite of NBC. Yes. So he bought it and he was also trying to turn CBS into not just a radio network but a TV network. And uh, Paley would do something very shifty in 1948. I know what this is. 
Again, we talked about it in CBS, the great talent raid. Yes. So in that episode, we mentioned how CBS was able to secure a whole bunch of very big names in radio uh, because the the general wisdom was, what's the best way to create really good TV content? Let's take the stuff we make for radio and make it for TV. And so they already had big radio stars that they could it, – it's a whole plot point in Singing in the Rain. Yes. Uh, <laughs> yeah, it's a, it's a it, it's one of those Hollywood stories that has made its way into different tellings yeah. because it was a big deal. So CBS came forward and offered huge contracts, really, really uh, lucrative contracts to stars like – George Burns and Gracie Allen, who were a, a, a duo at the mm-hmm. time. You had Jack Benny. You had these big, big names in radio who were starting to make the transition to television. And CBS says, why don't you come and work for us for a while? And they said, sure, because these are great contracts. And NBC was not happy. No, Sarnoff, uh, he really liked to put his – pressure on other companies. He did not like it when the same was done to him. Yeah. So he got really upset. And apparently it really illustrated the difference between Sarnoff's leadership style and philosophy and Paley's leadership style and philosophy. So Sarnoff, reportedly he hated the idea of advertising. He thought of it as vulgar. He didn't like he didn't like running ads on his and he certainly didn't like having to meet with ad executives. That was beneath him. So mm-hmm. he would send direct reports to those meetings. Whereas Paley was like this very gregarious, outgoing guy who was happy to bring people in and have them be part of the whole situation of uh, joining in and 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 having a conversation about how can we get your ads on your network. So Paley was um the, like, polar opposite of Sarnoff. Yeah. yeah. But Paley, it seems like Paley won that battle. He did win that particular battle. Yeah. All right. So what does RCA do next? <laughs> so you remember I told you they had established that movie theater chain. Mm-hmm. And they had created a movie studio, RKO Pictures. Yes. And uh, this was all in an effort to get their audio technology into theaters to create the standard. Well, they 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 achieved that. So oh. once they achieved that, they're like, well, there's no reason for us to keep this movie business anymore. Too we much don't. diversification. So they sold it. And you know they sold it too because I got it in the notes. Howard Hughes. Yes. Another person we'll have to do an episode yes. about. That'll be a truly eccentric episode because uh, when, you ha- when you're that rich, you get to be yeah. eccentric. Okay, so you have this note in 1948 where we get to the Speed Wars, and I'm so excited to hear about how they got into the the bus industry. No, it's not. Yeah, you have to go 55 miles per hour or the drops below (laughs) that. RCA explodes. Yes. No, this has to everything to do with turntables. All right, I'm going to make this super fast. Okay, Okay, go. In the beginning, you had turntables that would play music at 78 revolutions per minute. So the discs would turn 78 times every 60 seconds. RCA tried to introduce a 33 and a third RPM album uh, about a decade earlier, but it was during the Great Depression. Nobody bought it. Mm -hmm. Then Columbia, RCA's great rival, comes up with two big things that help change that. First, they start making uh, records out of vinyl as opposed to shellac, which is a much harder material. Vinyl is much easier to work with. And they come up with micro grooves, which means you could fit more grooves per side of the disc, which means more audio. Yeah, more grooves. Yeah. Smooth grooves. So it used to be that you could only fit like 
five minutes on one side of a 78 album, Mm -hmm. they were able to fit way more than that on a 33 and a third album, which was about the same size in dimensions as the old 78s. Now, Columbia said, we're willing to license this design to you, RCA, because you make turntables, you make discs. We'll we'll license this to you. Sarnoff does not like ever having to deal with somebody else's intellectual property. He, he wants to own it all. Yeah, or or he wants to license it to somebody else. Exactly. Yeah. He wants to be on the other side of that deal. So Sarnoff says, pound sand, Columbia. <gasps> and so he creates, he, he directs RCA to create their own format, which is a 45 RPM album. And they're smaller. They're like, you know, a 7-inch disc as opposed to the 33 and a third, which is like a 12-inch disc. So it can't hold as much music then. It can't. It holds about as much as the old 78s do. So this is what would be used for singles, right? right. You would get a single on one side and then you have the B side, whereas the 33 and a third would create the concept of the long-playing or LP album. And you had these two formats going to war with one another. Eventually, you had third-party manufacturers that would make turntables that could work at either speed. So that's what would allow you to play either a 45 or a 33 and a third. You just had to select the right speed. Because I don't know, Ariel, have you ever played with a record player? I have. Okay. I used to have records. You're younger than I am. I just had to ask. I know. I didn't know all that technical mumbo-jumbo behind it. But you know that— It's interesting. It's not mumbo-jumbo. You know that if you put, say, a 45— but you set it to 33 and a third, it's not going to sound right. No, It's going to be all. slow and low-pitched. If you put a 33 and a third and you set it to 45, it's going to be like the chipmunks. Like the chipmunks, yeah. Yeah. So these were the speed wars, and the two companies would maintain this kind of adversarial approach for the next several years. Ultimately, they would both kind of settle with each other and agree to make they would agree to make uh, uh, records in the other formats but it was ugly like these were two big companies that were both vying to become the name in that particular industry but i mean columbia records eventually wins that war right yeah i mean they 33 and a third became like the go to and then you would have these singles on 45 so it was kind of this weird world where both were able to coexist but i think Columbia, because it created the microgrooves, really had the big advantage. Also, their format came out about a year before RCA. And they're also fighting on television, on the television front right oh, now, too. Oh, boy. Yeah, we'll get into that. In fact, let's, uh, let's take a quick break. But when we come back, we'll talk about how Columbia and RCA put up a really good fight on that front. Okay. AI might be the most important new computer technology ever. It's storming every industry, and literally billions of dollars are being invested. So buckle up. The problem is that AI needs a lot of speed and processing power. So how do you compete without costs spiraling out of control? It's time to upgrade to the next generation of the cloud. Oracle Cloud Infrastructure, or OCI. OCI is a single platform for your infrastructure, database, application development, and AI needs. OCI has four to eight times the bandwidth of other clouds, offers one consistent price instead of variable regional pricing, and of course, nobody does data better than Oracle. So now you can train your AI models at twice the speed and less than half the cost of other clouds. If you want to do more and spend less like Uber, 8x8, and Databricks Mosaic, take a free test drive of OCI at oracle.com strategic. That's oracle.com strategic. oracle.com strategic. Are you tired of your scented cleaning products smelling and cleaning like... Meh. Then it's time for an upgrade 
with the power of Clorox Sentiva. With an uplifting scent that smells like coconut, Clorox Sentiva gives you powerful clean like Clorox, but a feeling like <sighs> being transported to a tropical island retreat. Imagine putting your phone on Do Not Disturb, tuning out all the constant, just the feeling of warm sand in between your toes and a fruity drink in your hand. The ones with the little umbrella. Refresh your home to feel like an all-inclusive vacation by getting Clorox Sentiva. Also available in grapefruit and lavender scents at a nearby retail store. Snag a job is where America goes to hire with the deepest talent pool in hourly hiring. With access to over 6 million active hourly workers, snag a job is the all-in-one solution for hiring high-quality employees who can cover all your needs. On demand, temp to hire, part-time or full-time. You name the position. Warehouse worker, retail associate, grocery store clerk, fitness trainer, baker, stylist, bellhop, podcast producer. Yeah, Snagajob's got a worker for that. With our easy-to-use platform, you're able to seamlessly post and fill available positions quickly with a dedicated customer support team to provide all the help you need along the way. Kind of nice knowing you have a talent pool like that in your own backyard, right? Snagajob is the partner you need to keep your business running smoothly. So visit snagajob.com or text snag to 242424 to talk to an expert. Snagajob.com, where America goes to hire. So we had just talked about how they were going to have this big fight in television. Specifically, it was going to be in setting the standard for color TV. Just as David Sarnoff wanted to set the standard for audio on film, he wanted to set the standard for color television. Now, at first, they started making what were called mechanical color TVs. There was one element inside the television that was on a mechanical basis, not an electronic one. There's literally a color wheel inside the TV sets. This had uh, a disadvantage that I'll get into in a second, but Columbia shows off their version of this, the CBS Columbia version of color TV. And it's a pretty good quality. RCA shows off theirs, and theirs just wasn't quite as good as CBS's. Mm-hmm. So the you then have the FCC deciding what's going to be the standard, and they say CBS is going to be the standard because it's a better picture. So we're going to go with CBS's approach to color television. Oh, Sarnoff, I'm sure, was not super happy. Not even a little bit. But he had a couple of advantages on his side. One was that he had already been dedicating some resources in RCA to create an electronic version of color TV. It just wasn't ready at the time when the FCC was making this decision. The other advantage was that this mechanical color TV was not compatible with the already existing black and white broadcasts. Yeah, that is a problem. Yeah. we If you're told, hey, you can buy this brand new TV, uh, sadly, nothing that's showing today will show on your TV, but future shows will if we can sell enough of these. That's not a great... Yeah. Yeah, if. Yeah, you have to convince people that you're going to sell enough to make the content, right? Well, that was not a good enough market proposition for consumers to go out and buy this brand new, very expensive color TV. And at the same time, uh, there was another problem that was coming up. There was the the Korean War, mm-hmm. which was making it harder for CBS to even get the components it needed to make its 
color televisions. It would end up only making a couple hundred, and it just never really took off. Then Sarnoff essentially said, well, I've got this electronic color television solution that was ready a couple years later, shows it to the FCC and says, here's the advantage of mine. You can still watch the old black and white stuff on here because it's using the same methodology. It's just got, if you are able to show it in color, it will show it in color. Well, and then he made cameras to produce the materials as well. Yes, and that was another advantage. RCA was in the, the business of both sides, both the camera side and the screen side. So effectively, RCA would get the color television standard, essentially. Uh, There was a committee that was formed, actually technically reformed the National Television System Committee, NTSC, and they created the standard for color TV, and it was almost exactly RCA specification. Yeah, but it took it still took a long time for color TV to replace black and white TV. Decades, yeah. Yeah. Yeah, it was, was, so it was available, the first RCA set was the CT100, which cost $1,000 in 1954, which would be about 10 grand today. That's a extra, that's an extra luxury, luxury item. Yeah, no, I just, I can't imagine dropping 10, 10 Gs on a television. Uh, I can imagine dropping a 10 G television and then immediately wanting to hide somewhere. But anyway, yeah. it, it was, it was an, it meant that no one was able to buy one. And because the black and white sets were still good for a while. It wouldn't be until really the 1970s that you started seeing color TV. So I'm take guessing off. I'm guessing they still had to work on their radio side of things as well. They did. And here's where we get into another dark story and Sarnoff being the ruthless businessman that he was. All right. So Sarnoff had a friend and the effective word there was had a friend named Edwin Howard Armstrong. And Armstrong came up with a methodology for transmitting radio through what was called frequency modulation or uh, FM. FM. Yeah. Whereas AM, which was the standard, was amplitude modulation. AM has some great advantages. It can go really, really far. Like those broadcasts can travel great distances, but they can't penetrate through stuff so well. So mm-hmm. if you lived in a city, you could have trouble picking up AM stations. FM didn't have those problems, but it had a much smaller uh, range of broadcast. So Armstrong and RCA had worked out an agreement uh, way back when that RCA would get the right of first refusal if Armstrong came up with something that was workable using FM. And Armstrong did. So he goes to RCA and he says, I've got this FM technology uh, it would require having to invest in all new equipment because FM so, transmission and AM are not compatible. Setting up new stations. Then. Exactly. Yeah, you'd have to build out a whole new infrastructure for this to work, but it will work. So RCA looks at this and says, well, we're really dedicating our resources right now to trying to get television going. So they refuse. Yes. So they said, Arm- Exactly. So Armstrong can go elsewhere. With yes, it. exactly. Yes. You're you're way ahead of me. Armstrong goes. He makes some agreements with some other folks. And then RCA says, you know what? On second thought, we totally do want that FM thing. But, you know, we, you gave us the right of first refusal. That's all good. So let's have an agreement where you will license the technology to us royalty-free. So you'll get a flat fee for your technology, but it'll be non-exclusive. So you'll be able to still go to these other parties and use your FM technology there. It doesn't seem fair to the other parties who opted in first. Yeah, and they were already 
opted into paying royalties. And Armstrong said, you know, it's I don't feel good about making that deal because if I say to you, yes, you get this royalty free, whereas everybody else has to pay royalties, that seems like it's not terribly fair. So he said, you know, I, I don't think this is going to work out. And Sarnoff did not react well to he, being turned down. It doesn't seem like he does that very often. Like, Sarnoff liked getting his own way. Yeah, so... Yeah. Uh, so he makes his own FM. Technology, yes. Technology. He, he pushes RCA Research and Development to develop their own FM technology. And they wanted to have at least enough plausible deniability to say that they did this completely independently of Armstrong and that none of their technology violated any of the patents that Armstrong held. That's That's shifty. Yeah. I mean – We've seen instances where companies have reverse engineered things and they've made their own version of stuff and they or they'll they'll look at a patent and they'll be very careful to try and get the same result without infringing on the patent. But with something like this, it was very questionable that RCA could do this without Armstrong at all. So yeah. Armstrong would end up bringing a lawsuit against RCA and this lawsuit stretched on for years. And, you know, we talked about how Philo Farnsworth mm -hmm. suffered essentially an emotional breakdown due to the length of the legal battle he went through. Yeah. It was worse for Armstrong. Uh, not only did his uh, mental health deteriorate, his physical health deteriorated, his wife separated from him after he lost his temper and uh, – physically assaulted her. Golly. So she leaves him. He, in a deep sense of guilt and shame, takes his own life. And his widow, his, his estranged wife and now widow, would continue to pursue the lawsuit against RCA, which ultimately settled with her for $1 million, which just happened to be the exact amount that RCA had offered Armstrong in that royalty-free deal. Golly. Yeah, so uh, Sarnoff, from what I can understand, never seemed to indicate that he felt he had anything to do with Armstrong's deterioration. But every other source I read outside of Sarnoff seemed to suggest otherwise. Yeah. So a very dark portrayal of this particular person. Yeah. Um, he's still working in the military and scientific areas at this time, right? Mm -hmm. RCA was still making components for for things like electron microscopes. Uh, they also contributed components to the Uni United States Ballistic Missile Early Warning System. Hmm. I mean, important. Yeah, yeah. And also to uh, satellites and things yeah, like that. The space race was taking off and RCA was one of many companies that were contributing components to that. Uh, they even created a special division called the RCA Astroelectronics Division, which has an awesome name. It, yeah. Uh, and it was also really – well, RCA wasn't like the dominant player in making televisions, but it was the dominant player in making television cameras. And you can't you know, shoot stuff for television without cameras. So RCA was doing really well on that front. So this was more of a – business-to-business business kind of thing, yeah. right? Like TV stations were buying these. Um, and keep in mind, like early days of TV, everything was live to broadcast. Uh, it was only later that it would be, you know, safe to, to videotape. And so um, this was an interesting time. Yeah. Uh, and, yeah. Sarnoff's getting old, though. Yeah. 
Yeah, he was getting old and he was getting sick. Mm. Uh, he had he started getting health problems. So in 1965, uh, his son Robert would become the president of the company. Uh, David Sarnoff was still the chairman of the company, but it was clear that David was sort of you know queuing up Robert to become the heir apparent to RCA. And and Robert had already served as president of NBC. It's not like he was you know, yeah. sitting at home all the time, sitting in the giant arms. mansion or something. Yeah. yeah. So he comes in and he's the president. And then uh, he starts making some decisions that would, you could argue, lead to RCA's eventual decline. So this is where we have our conversation about succession planning. Mm-hmm. Even when you keep it in the family, it's not necessarily going to all be wine and roses. Yeah. So – we get into some some diversification and of questionable um, merit. So you, you have a note here, and I skipped over it by accident, that RCA was behind the development of the 8-track tape. That wasn't what brought them down, was it? No, no, no. So the 8-track tape, the consumer side of the 8-track tape had a short life, but 8-track tape in general has had a lot of life uh, outside of those tapes you would find in like an old car mm that nobody listens yeah. to anymore. Uh, yeah, there, that was not what brought them down. But one thing that really hurt the company was in 65, they started building computers. They got into the computer business. Uh, so their first computer was called the Spectra 70. And these were mainframe type computers, like big centralized computers that would be used for business. So this is, you know, a decade before we get into personal computers. Uh, but it was an expensive business to get into. There was already competition from much more um, grandfathered-in companies that had been part of the rise of computers from the beginning. It it seemed like Robert wanted to diversify, but he didn't really put a lot of thought into how, Or Or maybe he didn't, yeah, he didn't consider what the consequences could be if the if the businesses weren't going so well. well. Because, like, I don't think trying to diversify into computers was necessarily the worst idea. Yeah. But buying Random House in Hertz? Yeah. Now, okay, so they bought Random House, the publisher, in 1965. They bought the rental car company Hertz in 1967. Uh, in 69, they started fighting against CBS again. They were both CBS and RCA were trying to create a video playback device for the home, essentially a, a predecessor to what would be the VCR. Mm-hmm. So before VHS or Betamax, they were both trying to create something. Spoiler alert, neither of those took off. So both efforts would end up falling short of their goal because the VCR would end up yeah. taking that place. So that ended up being a bad business deal as well. And in 1970... David Sarnoff at age 78 would retire as chairman. And I get the feeling that he didn't want to do it. He did oh. not want to say goodbye. Uh, but his, like we had talked about since the mid-60s, his health had been in decline. And by this point, he was essentially confined to his home. He mm. could not go to the office. And his doctor, when asked by the board of directors, can Sarnoff continue in his role as chairman, his doctor said, I don't think there's any way he could oversee the day-to-day operations of a company. Well, they were right because he passed away. The next year. The next year. Uh, yeah. He he turned 80 and then passed away. 
so he was 78 and 70, but that was early in 1970 mm-hmm. when he retired. It was late in 1971 when he passed away. And he was 80 years old. Now, as we have seen in lots of our episodes, when a company loses a leader, and really they had lost Sarnoff, you could argue, in 65, right? Like uh-huh. David Sarnoff had, had stepped down as president by then. When you lose someone as iconic and as uh, someone who's, whose personality kind of infuses the company's strategy, someone like David Sarnoff, it can often leave a company in a vulnerable position. So how would that turn out for RCA? Uh, I, I think you said not well. Oops. Yeah, I think, uh, I think I've already indicated that this does not turn out well. But we'll explain exactly how things went wrong in just a moment. But first, let's take a quick break. Are you tired of your scented cleaning products smelling and cleaning like meh? Then it's time for an upgrade with the power of Clorox Sentiva. With an uplifting scent that smells like coconut, Clorox Sentiva gives you powerful clean like Clorox, but a feeling like <sighs> being transported to a tropical island retreat. Imagine putting your phone on Do Not Disturb. Tuning out all the constant, just the feeling of warm sand in between your toes and a fruity drink in your hand. The ones with the little umbrella. Refresh your home to feel like an all-inclusive vacation by getting Clorox Sentiva. Also available in grapefruit and lavender scents at a nearby retail store. Snag a job is where America goes to hire with the deepest talent pool in hourly hiring. With access to over 6 million active hourly workers, Snagajob is the all-in-one solution for hiring high-quality employees who can cover all your needs. On-demand, temp to hire, part-time or full-time. You name the position. Warehouse worker, retail associate, grocery store clerk, fitness trainer, baker, stylist, bellhop, podcast producer. Yeah, Snagajob's got a worker for that. With our easy-to-use platform, you're able to seamlessly post and fill available positions quickly with a dedicated customer support team to provide all the help you need along the way. Kind of nice knowing you have a talent pool like that in your own backyard, right? Snagajob is the partner you need to keep your business running smoothly. So visit snagajob.com or text snag to 242424 to talk to an expert. Snagajob.com, where America goes to hire. Picasso knows your vacation home is your best home. It's the place that brings family and friends together. It's where you're the best version of yourself. Picasso makes it easy to co-own a luxury vacation home in amazing locations. Listings start at 200K for one-eighth ownership. Picasso does the hard parts for you. Luxury furnishings, maintenance, billing, scheduling, and more with a home management team that provides support before, during and after your stay so you can focus on the relaxing, hosting and making memories with family and friends. And you can resell on Picasso's marketplace anytime, historically for a 10% gain. With Picasso, you can stop saying someday and start building family traditions today in a vacation home you own and revisit time after time. Visit Picasso.com today to see thousands of luxury vacation home listings. That's P-A-C-A-S-O.com. Okay, so after David passed away, mm-hmm. RCA wasn't done acquiring things. Yeah, uh, so this one hits close to home for us, Ariel. Uh, they bought a company called Coronet Industries. Are you uh, calling me a carpetbagger? No, but I am saying that Coronet Industries was had its headquarters in Dalton, Georgia. 
if you've ever gone up to Dalton, like you've passed through to on your way to Tennessee, you see mm-hmm. all the billboards for carpet. Yeah. That's because that's of them. this. It's because yeah. of Coronet Industries. So yeah, RCA buys a carpet company. So on top of the rental cars. And then they end up purchasing Banquet Foods, which is known for TV dinners. Just, just casting a wide net there. Mm-hmm. I got to the point where the joke was RCA would stand for rugs, chickens, and automobiles. <laughs> so so but, things were not going great from a from a uh, uh, like a company culture perspective. No, but and then they they lose their computer division, right? Yeah, it, it had been losing money. It was never profitable. They decided to sell it off for a substantial loss to a different company called Universal Automatic Computer or Univac. Yeah, uh, and they hoped that maybe that would get the company back on track, but, but it didn't. No, so RCA was starting to suffer. Its performance was much below what their expectations were based upon their past performance. And they weren't really sure how to run all these businesses they had acquired through uh, Robert Sarnoff's leadership. Yeah, but they knew how to get rid of the person who kept getting them. (laughs) Yeah, yeah, yeah. So board of directors comes together in 1975 and they say, this just, you know, listen, it's not us. It's you. It's you. And they say goodbye to Robert Sarnoff. He effectively is fired from the role of president and chairman. And so then Anthony Conrad, who had been an RCA employee since 1946, would come over and become the new head of RCA. Yeah, but that's not quite succession planning. And he resigned shortly after. Yes. Uh, turns out Conrad had made a little bit of a boo-boo. Uh, he had failed to report his income taxes for about five years in a row. And once that became public knowledge, he felt compelled to step down in September 1976. So essentially, uh, the year after he had become the leader, he has to step down. And then Edgar H. Griffiths would take over RCA. So We've done other episodes where we've talked about rapid changes in, mm-hmm. in leadership that you already are having a problem when your your visionary leader has either passed away or retired. Often it's very difficult to continue a company following that vision because the person who was defining it is no longer there. It's even harder when you're going through this rapid change yeah. in executive leadership. But Griffiths at least knew what their issue was with the company, so he started getting rid of all of those – very randomly acquired companies. Yes, he started selling off companies, uh, sold off banquet foods. He sold off Hertz rental cars. I think United Airlines bought them. Mm-hmm. He sold off uh, some of the others. However, uh, Coronet Industries, the carpet company, would still be part of RCA. All right. I mean, he also did some acquisitions too. Yeah, he did a $1.3 billion acquisition for a company called Commercial Investment Trust or CIT. Uh, which was an investment company. Now, CIT also had its own share of odd companies under its owner uh, uh, umbrella, including a furniture company and a greeting card so company. So kind of like two steps forward, three steps back. Yeah. Now, CIT did get rid of some of those before mm-hmm. the acquisition happened. So it, it divested itself of some of those companies. But still, it seemed a little odd. Now, that ended up hurting RCA's credit rating as a company. And the board of directors already antsy because of the problems with uh, Robert Sarnoff mm-hmm. and, and the problems with Conrad. They 
felt this was not the right spot for RCA, so they demanded that Griffiths hand in his resignation, which he did in 1981. And then we get Thornton F. Bradshaw. Yeah, he was an old tycoon. Yeehaw! Yeah, he he had also served on the board of RCA, so he was already familiar with the operations of the company, and he became the chairman, and then uh, uh, a guy from General Electric named Robert R. Frederick came over and became president of RCA, and they continued to try and shed these subsidiary companies that had been added to RCA. And they got rid of all of them. Well, not Coronet Industries, the carpet company, because that sucker stuck what around. It was, those carpet tacks are hard to get out. You know, okay. <laughs> Have you ever pulled up carpet? It's hard. I, I have, in fact, pulled up carpet. And you know how hard it is. I do. Okay. So imagine how hard it is to get a, rid of a whole company well, of that. <laughs> it seems like RCA is really floundering at this point. It was. And so it was weird because on one hand, by divesting itself of all these companies, it actually was cash rich at that point. They had like $2 billion in cash. But that's because they had gotten rid of all these other little companies. So they have $2 billion in cash, but their business isn't doing so well. Uh, It's only because they sold all these companies that they have any cash in the first place. And they had really defined a lot of the previous generation's technologies, but in the current generation, things had not been going well, right? They tried to come out with a thing called a capacitance electronic disc or CED player, which did not do well but I own one. Um, I have one of the few in my house right now next to a couple of different CED discs. By the way, you referenced one of the two movies I own on CED, Singing in the Rain. I have it on CED. Nice. I was going to say Speed? I didn't think that would be. No, no, Speed did not come out on (laughs) CED. Speed was far after the CED era. But on top of all that, so the, the corporate leadership had been a real issue for RCA. So that was still a problem for the company. Um, And so this led to a a weird situation. General Electric, which, as you'll remember, was one of the partners. It was actually the biggest of the partners to as far as ownership goes when RCA first came into being. So a friend. Yeah. General Electric, the old buddy, comes by and says, I see you've been having hard times, friend. How about you come into the fold? General Electric makes a bid to acquire RCA. So RCA has a tough decision to make, right? Mm -hmm. On the one hand, they've just finished divesting themselves of all these other businesses. They have $2 billion in cash. They are able to now focus on their primary business and hopefully turn it around. Things are starting to look promising, but it's still pretty shaky ground. Do they say yes or no to this deal? Well, if they, they, no, they say no. They thought about it, but here's the problem: this was also in the '80s, and something else was going on in the '80s to Re- a crazy bad, degree. Bad hair. Our hair ne- was awesome. Neon, neon, Look, lots of neon. I had hair in the '80s. Ripped jeans with lace. <laughs> also awesome. I don't see why you're not saying anything wrong so no, far. I know. I, I, I like all those things. Okay, uh, boy bands maybe, but anyway. No, in the 1980s, there were there was this culture of hostile takeovers in business. And a hostile takeover is when a company goes in to acquire another company. They can't do it through normal acquisition. So they appeal to shareholders and they essentially try to get 
more shares of the company, like a controlling interest in the amount of shares, like 51% of ownership of the company. And then they effectively can tell the board of directors to go yeah, it, take a long walk it's, up It's a workaround to get your own way. Yeah. So the board of RCA said, well, we could say no to this deal, but that would potentially set up a hostile takeover situation. And then we'd have to defend ourselves from GE. And that would be a lengthy and expensive and ultimately it could be an unsuccessful task. Or we could agree to the acquisition. So they agree. Yes. And that $2 billion in cash was actually a strike against RCA, which seems counterintuitive. But the reasoning was this. If GE were to go after RCA for a hostile takeover – they could go after RCA super hard because if they took over RCA, then they would get that $2, $2 billion. billion and they could use that to pay off any debts that they accrued in the process of going after RCA. Well, thankfully, they didn't have to do that. They only spent $6.4 billion. Yes, they, they just bought RCA just outright bought at $6.4 billion. And this is why I say that RCA effectively stopped being a company in 1986 because – General Electric would bring RCA under the fold. So it's no longer an independent company at all. Mm -hmm. And then either liquefied and sold off RCA assets or consolidated RCA assets with existing General Electric or GE assets. So all the divisions of RCA that weren't sold off became part of other existing GE divisions. I, I like this note you have about RCA records. Because they were sold off. They didn't become a part of GE. Right. Yes. So GE did sell off, like I said, some of the components, one of those being RCA Records. RCA Records is what had evolved essentially from the Victor Talking Machine Company, Victor Records. We had talked mm-hmm. about them in the previous episode. So RCA Records is the one that has Nipper as the yes. uh, in the logo. Yes, yes. They got sold off to a company called the Bertelsmann Music Group, better known as BMG. Mm-hmm. So BMG buys RCA Records. But then BMG would merge with Sony Music in 2004. Isn't Sony the parent company of Columbia Records? Yeah. So RCA and Columbia – which had been the fiercest of competitors in the old gramophone days and the speed wars of the figuring out the the album speed mm-hmm. now belong to the same company. Uh, it's, it's it's similar to I think we've talked about this with board games and and toys as well, right? Like there were toy companies that were in fierce competition with each yeah. other that now ultimately belong to the same parent company. Well, it it certainly seems it, it's like that old adage they said about the thunderstorm the 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 faster it comes on, the faster it goes away. It seems it seems like RCA grew really strong and really hard and and really fast, and then and then and then fizzled out. Had, well, a, had a mighty fall. It did that in the cor- over the course of almost eighty years. So it was yeah. a good long run, and uh, really seventy years. Uh, and while you know RCA, the brand calls this its centennial. That's a hundred years old. You could make the argument that the brand has very little connection to the company that gave it its name. Yeah. Because it's just gone through so many different changes in ownership. Either it's, you know, there are RCA branded products out there. There are RCA records out there. But they're, it's it's like it's a flavor. It's not like it belongs to the same lineage necessarily as this established company yeah. that came together 
in, in you know, 1919. Well, it, it certainly is a very interesting and dramatic story. Yes, it's, it's a phenomenal one, you know, again, to, to see a company that I would say RCA was one of those that you would describe too big to fail at its height. Yeah. And like it, the Titanic. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, it was, it was Sarnoff a, got the distress signal from. Exactly. In 1912. That's a good callback. Yeah. It was um, it was established as a monopoly by the United States government. Uh, and then ultimately it had to be swallowed up by one of the companies that helped establish it in the first place. Yeah. Uh, it's it, – it, I think really you could – in retrospect, lay a lot of this at the decline of health of David Sarnoff and the fact that Robert Sarnoff, while he was ambitious and was trying to diverse, I mean, he was trying to diversify the company's holdings in order to give it more stability, but it just didn't work out. He 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 just went too random. He yeah. went too far and wide, and and probably didn't have quite the same force of will as his father did, and that's yeah. a. That's not to say that David – I don't think I would like David Sarnoff say, very much. It's, it's not necessarily saying it's a bad thing. Yeah. I, for the purposes of establishing a, a corporate empire, it might not work out so well. Yeah. But I, I have a feeling that, um, that I would find David Sarnoff to be uh, not my kind of person. Not to say like he's necessarily good or bad, but some of the decisions he made are ones that would be very difficult for me to reconcile. I, I agree with that. Um, but that is all we have in RCA. Yes. So um, if you guys have any companies you want us to talk about, uh, email them to us, you know, or you can just email to say hi. We do get all of those suggestions and we are working through them. Yes, we're, we have an actual spreadsheet that Ariel maintains that has all the different suggestions and who made them. And we are thankful for all of them. Keep them coming in because it's awesome. It, it, it yeah. lets us know exactly what you guys want to hear about. And otherwise, it's Ariel and I just sitting down and saying, so what's a company you know? Yeah. Um, so if you have those companies or you just want to say hi, email us at feedback at thebrinkpodcast.show. Yep. And you can pop to our website. That's thebrinkpodcast.show. That's where there's an archive of all of our past episodes. There's some information about your beloved hosts who beloved you right back. Yes. And until next time, I'm Jonathan Strickland. And I'm Ariel Caston. Business on the Brink is a production of iHeartRadio and How Stuff Works. For more podcasts from iHeartRadio, visit the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you listen to your favorite shows. This is Malcolm Gladwell from Revisionist History. eBay Motors is here for the ride. With some elbow grease, fresh installs, and a whole lot of love, you transformed 100,000 miles and a body full of rust into a drive that's all your own. Brake kits, LED headlights, whatever you need, eBay Motors has it. And with eBay Guaranteed Fit, it's guaranteed to fit your ride the first time, every time, or your money back. Plus, at these prices, you're burning rubber, not cash. Keep your ride or die alive at ebaymotors.com. Eligible items only. Exclusions apply. 
Open a limited-time 11-month certificate at Kemba Financial Credit Union. At 5.25% APY, it's more than triple the national average, plus it's a safe and secure way to grow your money. Visit your local branch or kemba.org slash cb for details. Offer expires May 31st, 2024. APY equals annual percentage yield. Restrictions apply. $500 minimum and $250,000 maximum deposit. Advantage status required. Comparison based on bank rate average. Federally insured by NCUA. Hey, have you ever used Cheapo Air? For years, and I really like it. With Cheapo Air, you can book online, use their app, or even over the phone. They've got great prices on over 500 airlines and millions of accommodations. They're my go-to for travel planning. And if you join their Club Miles program, you can earn points to save on the cost of your travel. Book on the app, and you get double points. Sounds like it's time I tried Cheapo Air. Call Cheapo Air at 855-247-3279 or visit CheapoAir.com slash podcast.